millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is 20 Minute Tim's. There are no Celtic this week, so what we have done is we're releasing an episode of our Patreon content for you guys to sample. This is the O'Neill years. It's our look back at Martin O'Neill's time at Celtic. This is the first episode. If you like the sound of it, you can check that and further episodes of the O'Neill years on patreon.com slash 20 Minute Tim's. Thanks for listening. It's an absolute honour for me to be the manager here. I'm telling you that now. It's an absolute honour. Honestly, it is an honour. And at the end of the day, I will, I will do everything I possibly can to bring some success here to the game. Good Larson. John Larson lays up the shot. John Larson with the goal. Chris Sutton holds off Frank the ball. Thompson's effort! A sensational goal from Thompson. Rounds off Celtic's old firm win. He does it so well, his eighth goal of the season. Miracic trying to bust his way through and it gets! And he scores! Celtic take another step towards the Scottish Premier League title. Larson. Oh, he's in! Henry Larson! Hello and welcome to this Patreon episode of 20 Minute Times. This is the first episode of the New Years and I am joined by my podcast pal Melly. Yes. And Stephen. Greetings. And uh, what are we here to do this morning, guys? Well, we are embarking on a new journey with the yes. podcast. We are travelling back in time to cover a real favourite of ours, of our Celtic supporting lives, the New Years. We haven't really planned it out that much. We're just going to roll through the, the well, years between 2000 and 2005 and just, just cover as much as we can. However, we are starting off slightly unusually with an episode that's barely going to mention Martin O'Neill. Yes. Well, you ha- for every great journey starts with a disaster, really. <laughs> so, um, we- that's quite true of, of Celtic. You, know, you could really point to a lot of things that kicked off with something going badly wrong. Here we are, we're in 2019 and we've got Brendan Rodgers as manager and that came about because of Ronnie yeah. Dyla. So quite often the the worst things are the most important yeah. in, in Celtic history. Celtic don't tend to react mainly until they've had until they've crashed the car into the wall. <laughs> you no, know? Exactly right. It seems to be the way every time. Just we better do something here, boys. And then the big guns come in. But I suppose you could say what we're about to talk about was the potential to be 
one of the big guns. Oh yeah, aye, absolutely. So what we're going to do over the next indefinite period of time, um, because there's a great, it's a great topic, it's a great period in Celtic's history. Yeah. It's a period that brought us up as Celtic fans mostly, I suppose, is we're going to just, we're going to have a podcast, we'll be talking about all the big hits, all the individual seasons, all the big names and stories from, from Martin's time at Celtic. We're going to interlace that with some interviews that we've carried out um, over the yeah. years with, with footballers that have spoken about it. We're going to have some archive audio and stuff and like that. It's going to be a, it's like I don't want to sound too grand, Stephen, but this is a it's a documentary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a documentary, and there will be different stuff along the way. We're going to do some classic match companions for the for the big games and and so on. We're just going to we're going to see where it takes us. This is the first step. Yes, and the first step on the New Year's, as we've already alluded to, well, we can't talk about Martin O'Neill without talking about the Dream Team. Yeah, yeah, that's right. the The Dream Team TM, as it were, the previous season season. 1999-2000 that was my, actually my first season ticket I had been as I talked about in the podcast before I've, I was going for several years before that but I was kind of picking up tickets as and when I was sitting in the temporary stand as that was the stadium was being built but this was my proper first actual physical season ticket and it was back I've still got it it's, it's still lying around the house somewhere but it was back when it used to be the like books. a yeah a booklet yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a booklet with all the different coloured uh, tickets in it and you just tore them out as in a way, looking back at my season ticket, it sort of tells its own story of the season because all the first tickets in the season ticket are gone. And then as you start to get towards <laughs> the end of the season, there's a few a few remaining in there. <laughs> so, Millie, we are, of course, talking about, and it, as it was labelled at the time, the dream team of John Barnes and Kenny Douglas. Now, they were brought in because the previous season we had Dr. Joe. Yes. And how did he get on as Celtic manager? When you look back now, it wasn't too bad. It was just... Off to a bad start, a really bad start. Yeah. Celtic, uh, alongside Barcelona, had the most players away in the 1998 World Cup. Vim Janssen left, obviously. It was a hard one to pick up. We'd won the league for the first time in so long. We had a hero in Janssen. Vengloss comes in very late on, a complete unknown to a lot of people. Yeah. Jock Brown was still the director of football sort of thing then. Vengloss, to be fair, some of the players he brought in were absolutely brilliant, but we didn't really pick it up too towards the end of the season and by then it was too late Rangers were miles ahead we're not going to delve too deeply into Joseph Vengelis but ultimately it is what led to this I feel like we're, we're, we're <laughs> backtracking now what <laughs> led to Joseph Vengelis <laughs> <laughs> but not there aren't many players you can find who had a huge amount positive to say about Joe Vengelis there was bizarre talk about the training about how they used to run about holding their breaths and all that I mean Joe Vengelis was a doctor in sports science and yeah. things like that but he had some he had some very odd uh, techniques to say the least. Let's podcast holding our breaths. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so John Joe, Joe Vengloss left. He was he was he wasn't sacked though. Interestingly enough, hmm. he was spirited away as Celtic's European scout or Eastern <laughs> European scout. That right. was that official title he was given. And we brought in Kenny Dalglish and John Barnes. Now Kenny Dalglish, a bit of context for Kenny Dalglish. He was one of the most as a footballer. An, an absolute legend. One of the greats. Yeah, both Celtic and yeah. Liverpool had won everything there was to win. As a manager, Stephen, and it's quite... Un- I was trying to... When we were doing this, I was trying to think about who we could compare this dream team to at the moment. Um, as a manager, he'd just won a couple of seasons before, or three years before, he'd won the Premier League with Blackburn. With Blackburn, yeah. It wasn't far off that at all. Uh, it had, had some subsequent less impressive stints I think he was at Newcastle yeah. prior to Celtic and and didn't really set the heather alight but this was 
one of the very few, to this day, one of the very few Premier League winning managers and with an unfancy, I know they had a lot of money at the, team, the time, but but when he came to Celtic, I remember being really excited about oh. it at the time because after two complete unknowns in Wim Janssen and Joe Venglis, Wim Janssen was very successful, obviously, but after two complete unknowns, you remember the headlines, Wim Who and yeah. Dr. Joe was even more derided when he came in. This was undoubtedly big time. This was, how could this possibly go wrong? A legendary player in Kenny Dalglish and and manager, in fairness to him, he was a successful manager. And John Barnes, who was one of the best players of his generation, untested as a manager completely. I mean, who who knew what, what he was going to be like when he came in? But there was that cushion there. There was Kenny Dalglish behind him. So with his knowledge, expertise and his know-how, how could it possibly go wrong? You think about it when... Douglas is coming from England and he's coming so quickly after being a manager, you think contacts. I mean, they brought Eric Black and Terry McDermott, so it was a full team they yeah. brought in. And as soon as they were brought in, this was not pre-internet days, but early internet, so maybe not everybody had it. So you were picking up the paper to find out what was happening. And the names that were being linked with Celtic were player-wise. And you're just thinking, this is going to be amazing. Everything is in place here, because... It wasn't as if the squad that he inherited was full of duds no. like previous managers had. There was a lot of good players in that, so it was easy to pick up. And if you added a few bits of quality in there, because we'd, we'd only had the Vim Janssen winning season, so in my lifetime I'd, I'd seen one league title one and the manager left the next day, so you hadn't enjoyed it. Yeah. Really, it was just sheer relief for stopping the, stopping the 10. Then the manager goes and you're like, why is the club like this? But now you think maybe the club's got everything in order, bring in these legends, which they yeah, were yeah. in their own right, and getting linked with big players and stadiums all finished now, everything's ready to go. It looks as if this is it, into the millennium. Kenny Douglas was a, a manager and a player who'd known nothing but success in his, in yeah, his career. Um, they were saying that New, his time at Newcastle was the only time he'd really known anything other than success. Um, yeah, that's right. Partly down to the fact that he sold a lot of their big name players and brought in older players to replace them, one of which was John Barnes. So he, right, signed, course, yeah. he signed John Barnes at 30-odd, five, and brought him to Newcastle to much derision at the time. That's the thing, that Barnes was only 35 when he took the Celtic and job. that's what, it's that, exactly that, yeah. what was coming on to. It's, it's remarkable when you think about that. He'd it, only just retired the season before, yeah, yeah. and Kenny Dalglish was pushing to get John Barnes into the, in as the Celtic head coach, as it was. It was a period of huge transition for Celtic, because this is when Fergus McCann had left as well. He had yeah. upsticks, he'd sold his shares, he'd done everything he said he was going to do for Celtic and, and was leaving. There was a new chief executive who came in and he appointed, Alan McDonald, I yeah, think his name yeah. was, yeah. he appointed Douglas and Barnes. But as I say, it just, it seemed so right at the time. I can, I can vividly remember it. I, that was, as I say, it was my first season ticket and I, f- I remember thinking, right, this is, we're back in the big Tell time. Tell me if this is a wildly bad comparison, but a manager who just won the Premier League as as he was director of football, and we'll touch on what that role entailed um, or how that panned out. Brought in head coach, a Liverpool legend who just retired. Is that like, for example, Claudio Ranieri coming to Celtic next season and bringing with him a Steven Gerrard or something like that? For, if you had to transplant that into the yeah, I, I think the the setup as it stands, the director of football that Kenny Dalglish was, and the head coach. What, how that's supposed to work is that he's in charge of everything to do with first team duties and the other, the director of football takes care of everything else, whether yeah. it's signings, negotiating contracts, all that kind of stuff. But I think how badly this went, we're 19 years out from the day 
that Barnes got sacked. Something we're about to talk about later on. It's the Cali Thistle game. We we spoiler there. You're putting but, in all sorts of spoilers. <laughs> but um, we're 19 years on from that, and to this day, I think this country as a whole. In, in football terms, is still very sceptical of the director of football role because of this and because of Jock Brown in, in the previous seasons. I just think it's it's still viewed upon. We've never really had anything since. Maybe Craig Levine and, and Ian Cathro with a similar setup, but I think everyone's still sceptical of this foreign muck, yeah. the director of football thing. You know, as you said, Stephen, the director of football was a bit... Nobody really knows what a director of football does. And at the time, you know, that, there was a lot of questions over what each individual's role would actually be. And first off, when they came they came in charge of it, as I said, the Vengloss would move to Chief European Scout was his official title. Kenny Douglas's role covered interestingly selection and recruitment, mm. um, as well as youth operation and all football side things. John Barnes was there principally to take training and manage the squad on the match days. Right. So those lines eventually reportedly became a bit blurred as time went on. See, oddly enough, I've I've read since that despite the fact that Barnes was in charge of these things, it was actually Eric Black who took all the training and was in charge of all this sort of tactical work and all that. So it's unclear exactly what John Barnes and Kenny Douglas actually did while yeah. at the club. But obviously there's, there's more to come on all these things, but it's a bit of a mess. It was It was nice and shiny. On the surface of things, yeah. but underneath, none of it worked. We even dig into the system, the signings, everything. None none of it worked at all. So what we've got here, Melly, is we've got a legend and two players. One who's had managerial success. A rookie manager who, but John Barnes was a quality player. He'd done everything and won almost everything in the game. How could it, how could it, go, how could it possibly have went wrong? <laughs> As Stephen said, when you look at it, Kenny Douglish... That's a big pull for any player that's watched British football. Yeah. A massive pull. Even fairly recently, he went back to Liverpool. They still took him back despite having yeah. no success at any recent time as a manager. And he still managed to bring in player after player because it's Kenny Dulwich of Liverpool, this guy's stature. So, King, King Kenny. King Kenny, yeah. exactly. So if you put that guy at the top and that's the guy that's negotiating deals and bringing in players, that's ideal for a rookie manager. But the problem is, the rookie isn't even a manager. As Stephen said, if he's not doing the training, if he's not doing that, well, basically, it's Kenny Delish and Eric Black with John Barnes as a sort of figurehead as yeah, a head yeah. coach mm. rather than a, a head coach. Of course, we were lucky to get Kenny Delish because only three years earlier, <laughs> he was linked to the super scout Kaiser role at, oh, at, yes. at Ibrox, which is one of my favourite newspaper stories of this era. Um, we tweeted it out actually yeah. uh, fairly recently he was linked as a, as a role as a director of football under Walter Smith and principally Melly as you said to identify world class talent and bring it to Rangers some of the names Stephen wow oh yeah uh, as I said we, we tweeted out the, the picture of it it is uh, a newspaper clipping from I think the Daily Record back in the of day of course it's yeah, the Daily I, Record I remember it at the time I remember Kenny Douglas being linked with that job as well because I thought but obviously Kenny Douglas was long before my time as a player but he was he was the name yeah. as we've talked about he was this absolute legend a Celtic legend and Liverpool legend he was just this like godlike figure that hovered over everything and I remember him being linked to Rangers and thinking that that's that's not how this works. Surely yeah. you don't you don't get Celtic legends working with them. Yeah. But obviously, there's been the stories that he grew up a Rangers fan. He wasn't a Celtic fan as a youth, and I, and I thought, okay, surely, why are you going to do this like this, Kenny? But yes, he was linked with a, a, a really strangely 
worded role with Rangers, identifying world class talent for the, give David us the names, Murray. Give us the names. Yep, for the for the David Murray regime. Now among the names mentioned were Ronaldo. And that's original the phenomenal. He was only due to play European games. He that's wasn't right. Play yep. the Muck League games. Yeah. It was the, the, the that was the the famous story of him being brought in on David Murray's private jet just to play the the Champions League games. And but on <laughs> just in this story specifically, there are Paolo Maldini, Jurgen Klinsmann, Eric Cantona, Robbie Fowler, Mark Overmars, Rai, the PSG yeah, captain, yeah. and my favourite name on the list is none of those. But it's Sean Dundee, <laughs> Paolo Maldini, Ronaldo, Jurgen Klinsmann, and Sean Dundee, who, 10 points if you can even remember him. He, was, he did uh, go to Liverpool, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, he went to Liverpool, that's I think right. Yeah. he played Germany, didn't he? Karlsruhe or something uh, he, like that, yeah. He was a centre-half and a striker. Yeah. But he did sign for Liverpool eventually, so maybe Kenny recommended him to Liverpool. But see, when he's identifying this talent, yeah. that to me means he's... He's finding these gems. <laughs> yeah. Not going out and the best players in the world. He's going them. Uh, the, the two of the greatest players ever to kick a ball in Ronaldo and Maldini. Ah, snap them up, get them up the road to Ibrox. six games a season. So we had Kenny Dalglish and John Barnes, a dream team, and at Celtic. And across the river, what awaited them was, a, frankly, a colossus of a Rangers team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, this this is a thread that's going to run through the O'Neill years. Obviously, we, we acknowledge that they are, their cheating was of a an astronomical scale yeah. at this level but the players they were able to bring in and it's something that's going to come up with some of the games that, that Barnes played that some of the players were just unbelievable that the, you know, the likes of your Van Bronckhorst and Kinchelski, Sartor Newman and the guys that were barely a signing came into Rangers that was 4 million and under it was, yeah. it was much more than that at the time These are all international players I mean yeah. they signed when Advocat came in just after the World Cup in 98, they brought in half the Dutch team yeah. that had just played there. Like Arthur Newman was one of the best left backs in the world at the time and they're bringing him in just up to their backs. Uh-huh. Rangers at this point, it's no exaggeration to say that Rangers at this point are competing with Man United, Arsenal and yeah. Barcelona for signings. Yeah. It's, they're not competing with... You know, these days, you know, they're trying to snap up the players from Bolton and all that. Stefan Kloss, who was the Rangers goalkeeper at the time, reportedly on more money than David Beckham, yeah, yeah, one of the, the highest paid, paid players in, right. in, in Britain at the time, if not the highest paid. This of, this was also a time pre-transfer windows, so if Rangers had a bad result, they just went out and bought a player to just appease the yeah, fans, didn't right. they? So it was just chaos. So there it was. Celtic had an uphill battle to face on the other side of the river with that Colossus of a Rangers sure team. Did. And the board went out and done what they thought was putting their money with their mouth was they got Ken Douglas, they got John Barnes. The stadium was complete, as you said, Nelly. Yeah. In fact, when John Barnes played his first home game, that was the highest attended British home football match that decade. Really? Yeah. 60-odd thousand, the right. highest attended football game in Britain that season. I that remember decade, very vividly as well. I can remember the training tops John Barnes wore. I think he managed a couple of games wearing shorts, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, aye, he did. And uh, just it was the obviously umbo tracky tops and all that. And I'm, I'm sure the the kit that came out that time it was NTL, but yes. it had to be sent back because it was there was bobbles once you washed it. <laughs> oh, oh, brilliant! What a pull! I forgot about <laughs> that. <was> pools. <laughs> Actual pools kept coming out. That's right. it, so so what was the what was the squad like? We've touched on the Rangers squad. What was the squad like, mainly that John Barnes inherited under Celtic? It was it was good. Yeah, it was good. As we say, Rangers were just up to the max, so that Vengloss in the end didn't lose the league by that many points, considering. But 
we had the the remains of the stop in the ten, so we still had Burley, Lambert, Alan Stubbs was there. Yeah. Henrik Larson was there. Then when Vengloss comes in, he brought in quality like Mialbe, Moravchik, Viduka. Yeah. Vidar Rousseff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Marshall. We also had uh, Tom Boyd as club captain as well, so he'd been there for years and years. Well, Barnes himself, before the season started, they brought in a, a flurry of signings straight away. They brought in Oliver Tebele, yep. Olivier Tebele, sorry, Stylian Petrov, Ail Berkovic, Dimitri Karin, and Bobby Petter. There were more signings to come, uh, most notably Raphael Scheidt in January. But um, you look at that, Stylian Petrov leaps out as being a that one gem in the yeah. in the turd that was <laughs> the gem in the turd that was John Barnes's reign. I feel like you could do that with any manager, though. Most managers will make at least one yeah. decent signing, and Petrov was his. Bobby Petrov went on to be great under Martin O'Neill as well, but the rest of them. I mean, Berkovich was our record signing at the time. Yeah. I think it was, was he not a Scottish record yeah. signing at yeah, the time? Was. Five, five point seven yeah. five million from West Ham, and he was a player. Didn't That's think? superb. Yeah, looking at that list, you missed a massive one off it as well. Stefan Bonds. Oh, of course, right. Stefan Bon. That's right. There. He was he was brought in, but when you look at that list and you say Petrov stand out stands out, but at the time Petrov stood out because he was the one. We'll maybe not see a lot of him because yeah. he, he's a a young guy. The rest, like Karin came from Chelsea, Berkovic came from West Ham, like Tebley was coming from Sheffield United. So these players were coming for most of them from the English Premier League. These were good players. Well, supposedly good players coming in. Trivia break, do you know which manager sold Tebele to Celtic and then bought him back for a different club? Steve Bruce? Yes, correct. It was. <laughs> yeah, he sold, signed them for Birmingham yeah. after after Celtic, that's right. Because he went on loan to Birmingham for a while. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, you bring up Petrov again. What I meant to say, what I meant to finish the thought was, Petrov, you look at that and think, oh, Petrov's a cracking player just written on a list, but he was, he was nobody at this point. No, he, yeah. he was a young guy and wasn't expected to do anything. He ended up playing in the wrong position for I Burns right, anyway. played right back for yeah, John Burns right. initially. When Barnes first came in, he talked about playing this four-two-two-two. So two holding midfielders, two attack midfielders, two strikers. Seems all very well. It's like a Latin style formation. Yeah, yeah. We hadn't really heard of it, but when managers come in and instantly talk about the formation, it's always a, it's always an alarm bell goes in my head yeah. because you're going in there and saying certain players aren't going to fit into that then. Including one of his signings yes. and Bobby Petter. Bobby yeah. Petter, yeah. an out-and-out winger for Ipswich. Yeah. Brought in in free and he doesn't fit into that formation. Now, when you look at that formation and you see he brings in Al Berkovic, so you're thinking Lambert and Burley sitting, we've got Berkovic and Moravchik ahead of that, Viduk and Larson, that's brilliant. That's a, a stunning team. But <laughs> Amazing. with this formation, you need cracking fullbacks that can go up and down all day. Aye, Cafu, it was a Brazilian thing, yeah. the four two 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 at the time, and and it was heavily reliant on machines of fullbacks. Yeah. They, they simply didn't have them. It was it was yet another thing. It was this the typical example of a manager being wed to a formation yeah. that he didn't have the players for. I understand that the four two 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 thing because you think right on paper you think right well that could actually be essentially four blocks of four, depending on yeah. where the fullback is just in the field. So you just shift forward and that makes a four there. That makes, But again, much like the Barnes and Douglas thing, it looks good, but it absolutely doesn't work in practice. Could you see, you know, as, as this time you're an, an experienced pro, could you see under Barnes that this this isn't working, he's no 
doing things right or we should be doing things a certain way and it's, it's not happening. Was that immediately obvious? Um, I think certain things got exposed when we lost Henrik. Certain frailties, you know, the system we were playing and, you know, on paper it was an unbelievable side we had and when everybody was fit. Uh, you know, we started the season with we flying, beating teams five and sixes and, um, but we, we played a kind of four-two-two-two system. Mm. So when I was playing right back in that, I had to cover like the whole kind of right side, get up and down. No, a wing back, which with him at times I played wing back. Or Doctor Joe sometimes played wing back, which is a different thing altogether. We're near the forwards, and I think when you we lost Henrik and um, try to replace that and certain things there, there was a few things behind the scenes that weren't quite working. Um, you know, and I don't think uh, I don't think it was handled very well. And, yeah, and I, obviously I could see there was problems with one or two players uh, in the in the squad that didn't see eye to eye with the manager, and that escalated. Uh, and it was quite uh, messy towards the end. It would have been fine if he had come in, said that, and then went out and purchased the the players needed for yeah. it. Because all he would have needed was fullbacks, but. At the time, I think at the start of the season, McNamara might have been injured. Mm. But when you look behind that, like Vidar, Recef, Tom Boyd, these guys aren't even proper fullbacks. Never mind no. marauding fullbacks. That Stephen Mahe was the only other one. Yeah. yeah, you were talking about the formation and the questions over where players would fit in that formation. One of the big ones of the time was the role of Craig Burley. Yes, yeah, that's right. He was never going to fit into that because he's a, a midfielder that likes to get forward and, and score goals. Just as an aside here, the other thing with this formation is that the players talked about how the attacking players were encouraged to walk back into position when they lost the ball. There was no such thing as pressing. That didn't that didn't exist in Barnes' formation. Right? The, Alan Stubbs talks about it in his autobiography. What all that did was create division in the squad because the defenders are left. They're just a flat back four, with it, and, and occasionally the the fullbacks would be up the other park with no chance of getting back. So you're left left with two centre halves left to do all the defending because. The attacking players are just meandering back into their tube, running up the middle of the pitch. <laughs> then two is so Burley was never going to fit into that as a as a goal scoring midfielder that he'd proven a couple of seasons before in the the stop in the ten. He was never going to get licensed to to move forward. He was basically just Bull, uh, sorry Lambert's partner in the in the kind of flat two. It sounds like an absolute dream for guys like Berkovic, Miravic, yeah. Larson, and Viduka just. Do do your do your job. What a front four that is, though. By oh, the way, I I, we should really point to that. That's Viduka and Larson. I know, unbelievable. Uh, on Viduka, um, just I know we're going to branch off into different subjects here. Yeah. It's, it's going to happen. But Viduka, I posted a video on the Twenty Minute Tim's Twitter account a few months ago. So I think of, it's longer than that now. Yeah, it's a while ago now, but it was a, a Viduka goal. I think he scored against Green at Morton, an absolutely great goal. He just sort of poked it into the top corner, and it sparked a bit of a debate, as, as was natural because he didn't. He wasn't allowed to fulfil his full potential at Celtic, despite the fact he had an unbelievable couple of seasons. And it was a debate over whether he or Sutton would have been the better partner for Larson going forward. And I think Viduka is the more talented player. Yeah. I think yeah. Viduka was an absolutely sensational player. He was brilliant down south as well for Leeds. Middlesbrough. Yeah, Middlesbrough later on. But the thing is, it wouldn't have worked. This wasn't Larson under O'Neill, this was Larson growing into his role at Celtic. He had a cracking season in the the stop in yeah. the 10, but he wasn't the 50-goal-a-season absolute juggernaut yet 
that, that he was about to become under O'Neill. And what I mean by that is Viduka would never have played second fiddle to that. Sutton knew his role in the partnership with, with Larson and he was a better fit. It would never would have worked going forward. For that one season, yes, Viduka and Larson were brilliant together, but I don't think it would have worked going forward. And as you've touched upon, the sort of the infighting and the complaining, that was, that's. if you could pin the tail on the donkey as to what, what <laughs> was... A few of them around. Yeah. <laughs> pin the tail on the donkeys as to what caused John Barnes' downfall. You know, top of the list there. Aside from his own inexperience, mm. Kerry Douglas's vague role but involved at the time being played to play golf, which yeah, is one of the yeah, accusations was, thrown yeah. at him. And the infighting. I mean, we had Burley, we had Berkovic, Viduka, Alan Stubbs as well, at one point was unhappy with the way the team was performing. You know, there was, if you go back and watch interviews from the time, you know, there was a lot of talk with the fans and all that. And it, a team of individuals was mm, the yeah. accusation thrown at that team all the time. I've heard it levelled at Berkovich that he was a huge disruption yeah. in the dressing room as well. The guy was just a just a poison in the dressing room. A great player, but no guts at all. And he turned on the fans. Remember the giving oh, the I, fans I, the I, finger and all that kind of thing. The the guy was was never cut out for it up here, which is a shame again because a supremely talented footballer as he proved with Southampton before that. Yeah. Remember they played in the infamous six three game. Uh, the, is that the one the strips? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. against Man United. Famously got on really well with John Hartson. <laughs> yeah, introduced to John Hartson's yeah, boot. That's right. I, I love that clip. Um, because not for a number of reasons, but not least because Berkovich got booted in the face in training <laughs> and it leaked to all the papers and all that. But see if you actually watch the clip. Hartson kicks him in the face pretty hard. Yes, yeah, yeah. Good. But Berkovich goes down and starts rolling around as if he's going to get something yeah. for it. Like there, there are no penalties it's to the, be given. It's the whale that gets me. He goes, <laughs> he does that. Yeah. But on the infighting, the, the the signs were there as early as pre-season. They went for a pre-season tour. And again, Alan Stubbs tells the story in his, his autobiography um, about how they went on a pre-season tour, but they stayed in a hotel, which was substandard, mm. to say the least. Now, that, they didn't really mind that because that's not what they're there for. They're there to focus on their football and getting fit again. But the, the main complaint was that the food was terrible. So they were allowed to do anything they wanted after 8pm, I think it was. So a few of the boys went out for something to eat after after their kind of curfew, after they were expected to be be available for training. They went out to a restaurant and ordered a few things. And shortly after they, they got there and started eating, John Barnes bursts into the restaurant and starts hoovering up people's drinks. So he runs over, picks up Tommy Johnson's drink and downs half of it, checking up on the players Aye. to see if they were boozing. Now, that's, that's not the way to build trust with your no. players. You're treating them like children at that point. Now, it... They may well have been getting up to no good. Who knows? But the guy, to hear the story, or to read the story rather, it just it seemed like the relationship was broken immediately yeah. and, and there was no trust there. John Barnes was also convinced that everyone was talking about him behind his back and it's just just a very, very tense and paranoid atmosphere between everyone. Yeah. John Barnes came in for Dr. Joe can you tell us the main differences between the two? Because Vengloss had a lot of experience, whereas John Barnes is making his first management job. What were the biggest differences you've seen between the two guys? You know, I didn't really want to talk badly of anyone, you know what I mean? But Vengloss was completely and utterly out of touch of football, you know, completely. <laughs> he, he should not have been the manager. I, I, I'm not convinced he was the manager. His name was the manager. I'm not convinced he was picking the team. Uh, John Barnes came in 
and I quite liked his style. You know, he wanted to coach. He wanted to try and... To, he wanted to coach more than the players were wanting, if you understand. So for me, as a young player, I wanted to be coached. I wanted to be told what to do. Whereas the senior players completely and utterly batted it off and turned their back on it and didn't want to be coached. Because we had a very strong senior team at that point. And his personality, John Barnes' personality, was quite... He believed in what he was saying and he believed in himself and he just rubbed the the, the uh, older players up wrong. And from almost the first couple of weeks, I know we're in a brilliant run at the start of the season, you know, a, a great run, but the cracks showed very, very early in training with the senior players and John Barnes that I think that they all knew it would never, ever last. There was not going to be any longevity whatsoever. So that was an issue, you know, that... I could see as a young player, you know, I was wanting to be coached. I loved some of these sessions that were over coaching at times. Probably he was doing sessions that now are known that get done all the time in professional teams. But back then there wasn't a lot of coaching. And John Barnes wanted to coach the players just didn't really, didn't really like it. And I say, Joseph Engloss was a fantastic guy, lovely guy, and obviously brought in Bravchik, who was a great player. But you know, couldn't really communicate with the players. His training was, you know, was just. Bit different, and you know, as I said, I'm not convinced any of you picking the team. Well, those guys are seasoned pros. Yeah, that's they've, been, yeah. they've been there and done it, and they're getting their drinks tasted by a guy that's just came in. Yeah. A 30, 35 year old. A yeah, guy yeah, who's, right. who's, you know, I, again, these guys have been playing for a lot of John Barnes' career as well. Yeah. Exactly. It's even worse when. They, he was a player only a year or two before that, so he'd, he'd know exactly how that would feel if it was done to him. Just just a massive mistake yeah. from the very off. But the league got off to a great start. First game was Aberdeen away, and we absolutely destroyed them. And that is something that is a theme through this season. We absolutely murder Aberdeen <laughs> time and time again. I remember the game. I watched the highlights again. We, we tore them apart. The big thing straight from the off was... Craig Burley was on the bench, benched. Martin Weehorst came in. He sat alongside Lambert, and we had Berkovic, Maravchik, Larson, and Viduka. Yeah. But again, the problem is fullbacks are Tom Boyd and Vidar Rousseff. <laughs> that doesn't stop us. We beat them five 0 Two for Larson, two for du- for Duka, and Mark Burchill comes on and get- gets the other one. I'd recommend going and watching the highlights because it is some liquid football, boys. Yeah. <laughs> it is a great game. John Barnes did, Stephen, get off to a really good yeah. start as Celtic manager. Did he not win? He won eight in his first ten, lost one and drew one. Well, he had the best start to any season since Jock Steen. Martin O'Neill was later to usurp this almost immediately yeah. in the following season, but he had a great start. He had the best start, as I say, of any manager, any Celtic manager that wasn't named Jock Steen. I remember this game pretty vividly, but I didn't actually see the game. It was on a Sunday. We were playing Dundee United away from home, so it was back in the day we had to come in and check teletext for the score. <laughs> and because we we beat Aberdeen five 0 following week we beat St Johnston three 0 at Celtic Park in Barnes's first game. But then we went to Tannadice to Dundee United and just lost two one. That was still in August as well. Yeah, yeah. Just inexplicably lost a game where you're thinking eight goals in the previous two games. Dundee United shouldn't pose any problem. I think it was two 0 and Berkovic pulled one back. And it was just it just seemed to be a bit of a a weird result in the grand scheme of things because we went on to win the next few games. We we won eight league games. We played eight league games, won seven, lost that one. Hmm. In Europe we'd beat 
Cumbrian Town in the UEFA Cup. We beat them 10 0 in aggregate, so we absolutely spanked them. We beat Halfwell in the next round. We beat Air United in the league, and then. I thought you were going to say in Europe there. No, no. Some going for there. <laughs> we'd, uh, we'd another game against Aberdeen at Celtic Park and beat them 7 0. <laughs> oh, I remember that one, yeah. Cause that's a classic. I remember after it. Double hat tricks. Yeah, I was mm, in the yeah. car and somebody phoned them up the super scoreboard and asked who gets the match ball because Larson and Viduka both scored hat tricks and maybe the first guy, but uh, Berkovic got the other goal. But incidentally, that was the 16th of October and that was the first time the Magnificent Seven was played at Celtic. Park. Is that right? Yes. Oh, there you go. But I mentioned uh, after the eight league games because it's quite significant mm. because after that, the decent European games. It's the turning point, boys. 21st of October, Leon away from home. Yeah, of course, yeah. And Leon lost both home and away to Leon 1 0, I think yeah. it was. And uh, the the moment that Melly's so deftly alluding to is uh, the, the injury to Henrik Larson, which, which changed everything for Barnes. Um, now, I don't think it would have necessarily worked out for Barnes for reasons, for myriad reasons, m- many of which we've already talked about. There just wasn't the relationships there. But you do have the right to assume that your your stint would have gone better had you been able to call upon Henrik Larsson. See, if I managed Celtic, I wouldn't do a good job of it, but my chances of doing a, a good job of it would be increased exponentially by having a player like Henrik Larsson available. If, if you talk to John Barnes, that is one of the key things he puts it down to. Yeah, I'll bet it is, yeah. He does. He puts it down to the loss of Henrik Larsson. So he, I've, I've watched a couple of interviews in preparation for this where he talks about the Celtic job. He talks about his feelings on the matter are that people inside the club didn't want him because hmm. he was a rookie because he was it was Kenny Douglas's guy right um, the Scottish press never gave him a good ride no no they, which is fair enough they didn't the fans didn't take to him I and, think they did initially I think yeah. they, much like myself I think everyone was quite excited about it it's easy to look back just on it now and the disaster it was and think well it was never going to work but I think at the time there was a there was a swell of optimism over it that that quickly went yeah. but I think initially it was perfectly fine and uh, and that losing Henrik Larson yeah um, I remember where I was I was at football training at my school and one of the dads came in and he said Henrik Larson's broke his leg and I was like nah, I can't have how would you know then when you go home and you all know the picture that's on the back page of the paper the next day mm, of him yeah. just sitting there with the top which Stephen has kindly placed yeah. right yeah, beside yeah. us the black and <laughs> Uh, the thin green stripes across it with Umbro as kit and shirt sponsor. <laughs> Interestingly, but once Henrik Larson goes, it's a disaster. To be fair, Stephen, can you remember where you were when uh, Princess Diana died? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do actually. I was, that's I was that's at what home. it sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So obviously, your main striker being out leads to you needing a replacement, and it being October, it being a time when there was no transfer windows. What did Celtic do? <laughs> The approach, former footballer and then TV presenter Ian Wright. Chicken the, salesman. Yeah, the, the chicken chicken sauce salesman. Yeah. Yeah, the, the chicken tonight guy, Ian Wright. But under Barnes, he brought in Ian Wright, who was, you know, a great player, but essentially done by that point. Is that, yeah, yeah. Is that more of a frustrating situation to be unknown that there's maybe not as much to be learned from this guy who is, you know, on the way out. Yeah. No, again, again, I was I was star sponge at that age. You know what I mean? I'm like, this is Ian Wright. He was, him and Robbie Fowler were my two heroes. 
So Ian Wright has came to Celtic. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing to be involved with this guy and see him and watch him. But you're right, he was done. You know, so that you know, not done. That's a bit harsh. But he was just at the, he was on the way down. Let's say he wasn't what he was previously. Uh, but I did pick up good things for him as well. But you're right. If he had came in, maybe I would have got a right run that season and be, you know, all right. I think I think I still scored like twelve goals or something that season. But maybe if I just from last year's injury, they just said win, lose, or draw. You're going to play every minute for now to the end of the season. Maybe that would have then, you know, gave me longevity in my Celtic career. But obviously, you know, because I was in and out, it became very difficult. I, I say former footballer just jokingly there but it was clear he was completely he was long past his, his Arsenal peak by that point I think he was at West Ham and he was presenting his own talk show <laughs> he was hosting a talk show was he? And yeah yeah yeah. it was kind of they did that they tried to make him in remember they did it with Charlotte Church as well they, yeah they tried yeah. to make her into a sort of all round celebrity well Ian Wright was the kind of prototype for that uh, it didn't last long he wasn't training properly, was it? He, was, he nah, didn't even nah. move to Glasgow, did he? He was flying up from London for training and all that. Well, do you know what John Barnes said prior to bringing Ian Wright in? Was Ian Wright older than John Barnes at this point? It must have been, yeah. Ian Wright said, If we're going to replace Henrik Larson, it has to be with someone very special. A very special player and a very special personality. We cannot bring in just anybody. <laughs> Ian Wright is one of those that's mentioned as a possible short-term option. What he would bring to the team is goals. That's what Ian Wright is known for. He scored on his debut. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but... Scored on every debut. That was... Oh, scored really? On that's, every debut. that's a great wee fact, though. Yeah. Oh, look, Ian Wright was an absolute legend, but we've seen it time and time again at Celtic. Being an absolute legend doesn't always translate to, to success up here because there are limits, and turning up here at like 36 or whatever it was was, was way over that. Again, it's probably just points to John Barnes' inexperience. Maybe something he learned from Kenny Dalglish, because as we discussed earlier, Kenny Dalglish's time at Newcastle is typified by selling the likes of Ginola and all these guys hmm. and bringing in the 34-year-old Barnes. They're not bringing Ian Rush to Newcastle as well oh, towards the end of his yeah, career, right? right? Yeah. So that, this is like, this is sort of typifies John Barnes a hmm. bit. But. It does, and we went out of Europe to Lyon. So out of Europe, we only had the league to concentrate on. It wasn't looking good for him. Henrik Larson made out and the first Old Firm game. No. And we can say Old Firm here. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all fine. It's okay. Uh, was at Ibrox and going into that game, the league was close, but when after that game, you're just thinking, we are quite far away from them. And again, Barnes, there was a bit more bad luck. That was the game where Lambert got smashed by Alberts in yeah. the teeth. God, so I forgot about that. Yeah. He, went out injured. Uh, he was out injured for a while for that and... Later on in the season, Lubo Moravchik completely tears his hamstring, so he's out. So he did have a lot of bad injuries at the yeah. time, and Craig Burley was subsequently sold to Derby for £3 million. So yeah. that's another quality player out the door. Craig Burley has recently spoken about this, actually. He was sold in order to fund the transfer of Raphael Scheidt, <laughs> the Brazilian international defender who came in in the January, I think it was, and you know, he's obviously the stuff of legend. He'll come up again in this series as, you know, it was one of the first things Martin O'Neill did was get rid of the yeah. guy. But yeah, that's, to, to get rid of Burley, to fund that, I don't know if there's any truth in that, but that's sure what Craig Burley believes. What I find interesting about Raphael Scheidt was, at the time, the Brazilian FA were at a bit of a fiddle, weren't yeah, they? Yeah. What they would do would secure caps for off the back of agents which is players who weren't anywhere near good enough yeah. but when you're being sold a Brazilian international defender yeah, you absolutely. pay £5 million for him <laughs> clearly 
I was excited at the time of him coming in. Oh, I hadn't everything obvi- was ever had obviously heard him, but bringing in as a Brazilian like that again, but it's a centre half. You need fullbacks, mate. <laughs> you don't. Guess, you've right. got Tom Lloyd and Vida Recep bombing up wing. McNamara was injured at the time. He would have probably been ideal for the right yeah. hand side. But that old firm game you mentioned there, Melly, oh. that was a, a total shellacking 4 2. Yeah. Uh, that, that was the one where Berkovic scored two yeah, did and the, then did the chicken donate dance afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a recurring theme in this season is the poor results to Rangers. And we'll talk a wee bit later on about John Barnes being sacked and what he thought of that. But ultimately, the, the thing is, you can't survive that as a Celtic manager. You can't survive getting beat 4-2, 4-0, drawing. I think one each was the best result we got against them. You're not going to survive that. That, that was his problem. Like We were beating Aberdeen time and time again. We yeah. beat them 5-0, 7-0. We then beat them 6-0 away from home later on in the season. But we lost twice to Motherwell, just one at Celtic Park, one away from home, just inexplicably losing these games. We've obviously been beaten by Rangers, but the last game before the winter break was Rangers at Celtic Park. Viduka scored, he hit the post, he hit the bar, and Rangers, they got a goal as well, so it finished one each. But Celtic were all over them that day and just couldn't get the result. And a win in that game would have taken us one point behind them going into the winter break. Mm. It didn't happen. Go into this winter break, and when we get back, it's just disaster. Yeah, yeah, it's just the slide from there. And a lot of this was caused by the poor result. There was a there was a fractured squad as we discussed earlier yeah. on, and that was the key to to the that was like the trope of John Barnes' team. This fractured squad, the bad results started coming, and it just got worse and worse to the point where players were falling out, players were getting benched that were previously playing, and John Barnes had a real struggle as the manager keeping the squad together when thing he had a trouble keeping the squad together when it was going well, but when yeah. things started to go badly, that's when it really Absolutely. the downturn hit. As soon as we get back from the winter break, a 1-1 draw will come on. It's the Aye. first game. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> then it's followed by a 3-2 defeat to Hearts. That yes. was a big one. Do you know yeah. what? He could have gone for that. Yeah, He could have gone for yeah. that. Celtic were 2-0 up at, at home and lost 3-2 to Hearts, which, again, I, I keep saying it, right? there are a number of reasons that Burns left for. He doesn't seem to believe any of them. He would like to focus on some excuses, but ultimately... You can't walk away from that, these terrible results. But that in isolation, right, okay, if you have an absolute aberration where you lose 3-2 at home, having been 2-0 up at hearts, fine. But it's the whole the whole absolute casserole of garbage that was going on here. That left us nine points behind the Jairs, and it wasn't looking good for Barnes. But it was all... We were still in the League Cup, and we were going in to an easy match home to Inverness Cali so a team in the division below us now I remember at the time I was an avid Celtic view reader and Celtic actually advertised the next round of the Scottish oh Cup my. because they were playing Aberdeen so they'd advertise tickets will go on sale following the game against Inverness Cali and, and this isn't Inverness Cali of today or any first no, division no, team of today very they much were, minnows they weren't they were part time yeah. they were part time they must have been less than 10 years old yeah. at that point. I think they were fairly newly formed. This The game itself had actually been rearranged after high winds had blown a bit of Celtic Park off. There was like something of the roof had come down. Stadium was falling apart. Yeah, exactly. And you know what You know what the press are like? They, would have, they were having a field day with that as well. You know, the, the crumble dome and all that <laughs> <laughs> carry on that Rangers like to cling on. 
But after the previous game, after the Hearts fiasco, the 3-2, Ayo Berkovic had already said in the press, admitted in the press, that Celtic were not good enough to trouble Rangers and they were had very little hope in reviving the title race. And this isn't what... March February. or something, February of the year. Cheers, Ayo. You know. It's the 8th of February Celtic play Inverness. So it's not... We're just back from a yeah. winter break. It's been disaster after disaster. You've got your record signing coming out and saying mm. that. You've got this undercurrent of infighting which has plagued almost the entire season from the pre-season. A stadium's falling apart. A stadium's falling (laughs) apart. Pets' heads are falling (laughs) off. I was waiting for that. Um, And then you've got, so Celtic, Inverness, Cali Thistle, relative minnows, not relative minnows, (laughs) absolute part-time minnows. So I I think we should maybe dive deep into this game because this is the game of games. This is the reason. This is is why we're here talking about this, this period. This is the game that finally... Signals that it's that it's all over. The the lineup is Jonathan Gould, Tom Boyd, Olivier Tebeli, Stefan Mahe, Vida Reset, Colin Healy, Reggie Blinker, Lubomir Moravchik, Ayl Berkovic, Mark Viduka, and Mark Butchel. Up, up and down, yeah. to say the least. That that side. Yeah. All down and up. To be honest, I've actually forgotten about Reggie Blinker. We've not mentioned him yet. I'd Where, forgotten he existed. It's a good question because again, another out and out left winger yep. that is in a four two 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 formation. I, I don't, I don't really know. And I, again, you look at that team. The fullbacks are. Is it Boyd and Reset? Is it Reset and Mahi? Is it Reset and Boyd? I can't it's tell. Reset and Mahi. Yeah. must be sure. I think at this time, Alan Stubbs wasn't playing. Was it through injury or? Yeah, because I, I remember he watching was injured, that. Yeah. So there was a, the Celtic did have a few injuries at the time. They were missing. That Mas- McNamara. Yeah, Alan Stubbs is out. Mialbe was out. Yeah, yeah. Obviously Larson as well. Lambert. It's half a team out of all players that would definitely start the game, but it's still no excuse for no. getting beat by Inverness Cali Thistle. You're going into this game against these minnows, as we say, you go a goal down. <laughs> you go a goal down. But we, we managed to get the equaliser. Butchell scores the equaliser. Yeah. But Maravchik scores an OG before half time. <laughs> I'd actually forgotten he scored an OG in this game, yeah. Of all the things. So we're going in at half time, two one down to these minnows. We need everybody to get together, lads. Bring out the fight, not fight in the changing room. Well, half-time is the big thing. This yeah. is the stuff of legend now. It's been more or less confirmed that Mark Viduka took his boots off, chucked them in the bin and said, well, basically, fuck this, I'm not coming yeah. back out for the second half. Eric Black Eric Black had a go at him. It was the two of them that were, that were really at each other's throats. Eric Black has later said that he did it deliberately to try and provoke a positive reaction out of him. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Barking up the rang tree there with Mark Viduka. Many other players might have, might have done that. That may have been a good piece of management there to just motivate your players, but Mark Viduka, absolutely Famous, not. Famously yeah. grumpy Mark Viduka. It all came ahead in the Inverness Cali Thistle game. You, you actually scored the only goal Celtic scored yep. that night. Could you tell at like, half time and during the game and when Mark Viduka refused to come out at half time, could you tell the end was nigh and there was no going back for John Barnes at that time? Ah, there was a complete lack of discipline and that's what that's what I'm com- coming from. There. No lack of discipline and there are no rules. The players just didn't care. They they believed in what they wanted to do. And, you know, it was just very strange because I was still a young kid and I was kind of, you know, just always a backstander. But, you know, Viduka having the argument very black, telling him he's not coming back out, chucking his boots at him, then having a massive fight and then it just all getting split up. And, you know, the whole dressing room was in furore, you know what I mean? John Barnes came back in and he was looking whiter than me, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Then then he was, then he was, he picked the team. He had no clue what to do. He didn't know what to put on. 
you know, it was just too much. And at that point, I, I think he, you know, I, I, I'm no, I know for sure that he had been feeling this resentment for whatever reason over the, the previous couple of months. You know what I mean? And it was just, uh, ah, you knew it was the end. You knew it was the end. It was, uh, the difficult thing was, you know, I, I don't know if you remember that night, we lost the game, right? We lost a terrible game. We, I, I didn't leave the stadium. It was something like at one o'clock in the morning because the fans were outside wanting to fight with the players. And I'm like, you know, I'm a young kid trying to make my career here. And uh, there's 500 fans outside there wanting to kill me. You know what I mean? I was like, I'm sure, I don't know if I picked the right job. <laughs> you know, it was, it was a very frightening night, if I'm honest, as a young guy. But, you know, it's, it's one of the things. What happens in a situation like that? After John Barnes is sacked, Viduka has refused to come out. What happens with the players and Mark Viduka after that in training? Do they were they on Viduka's side or do they do they sort of hound Viduka out? What happens when that goes down? All the senior players wanted John Barnes out, so simple as that. They were not you know, they were not they were not caring. Obviously, they got knocked out, and it was you know I think obviously we got knocked out of the cup. It was disappointing, but you know at the end of the day, I think. You know, the, the senior guys were happy that John Barnes was no longer the manager. You know, simple as that. Ian Wright has later spoken about this this whole thing and he talked about Viduka. He actually, Ian Wright called him a disgrace for his behaviour at halftime. And he, he was lamenting the fact that Viduka, shortly after this, he was rewarded with a huge move to Leeds. So he was like, well, that, that that's one for the kids out there. All you need to do is throw the huff and you'll be rewarded by a huge move. But he, he also says that after the game, there were hundreds of Celtic fans outside the stadium all waiting, baying for blood, basically, just that that's it, that we've, we've had enough. They all hid in the stadium. And Mark Burtzell talks about leaving at one o'clock in the morning and, and things like that. But they all came out and Ian Wright said they actually, the fans actually cheered Mark Viduka. He basically couldn't believe what he was saying. So not not great. They weren't the only ones. Johnny Gould had turned on Ayel Berkovic, basically just called him a, a shite bag, just we know we know Hart wasn't trying and all that. So that was the end of end of all these relationships as well. As I say, the, the halftime thing itself was this is now the stuff of legend that is ultimately where you can point to it and say that's that's the end. And that's this is when Mark the tail on the donkey. Yeah. That is the exact point it. you put the tail on the donkey. Ian Wright came on for for the second half, I think. For Viduka, but by that point, and all they did was I think conceded another one. Yeah. yeah, and then you get the headline: Super Cali go ballistic, Celtic are atrocious. Oh God, I could strangle that guy. Who <laughs> wrote that? Fair you enough. know what? It was probably some sub sub editor yeah. whose name will never ever know. Yeah. <laughs> one of the best. You know, to be fair to them, one of the best headlines imaginable, unless you, you felt it, unless you were a Celtic fan back then. Because it was it was horrendous and it has stuck since then. It's one of those legendary things. You got to remember every time we play Inverness, mm. isn't it? And you got to remember this at this time again. We'll try and paint the picture as best we can. Rangers were the darlings of the oh, Scottish yeah. and British press. Rangers could do absolutely no wrong. This is the height of the the succulent lamb yeah. era. You know, David, <laughs> David Murray's Murray getting them in the palm of his hand, I mean, flying them places and all exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. We're talking about the the best players in the world weren't out of reach for Rangers. David Murray was the biggest star and. You know, British Scottish business. They were the darlings of the press. Everything Celtic done was treated with scepticism. Mm. Um, the press didn't really give John Barnes a, a fair whack. Kenny O'Gleish, famously, as we'll get on to, had absolutely no time for the Scottish press. No. Um, actually, on that on that game, we've I've not even mentioned the guy's name. Actually, John Barnes was present, at the, and it speaks actually volumes about the fact that we haven't mentioned them for the second half uh, for the half time incident because I think he basically turned up. 
saw what was kicking off and didn't have a clue what to do about it. He saw all these all these big personalities all at each other's throats and basically just stood there looking like looking panicked. Do you know who played this game for Kelly Thistle? Uh, Barry Wilson. No, it's uh, Ryan Christie's dad, oh, Charlie. Yeah, he played in that game, yeah. As you said, Stephen, after the Hearts game, the right was pretty much, or could have been on the wall, but we carried on to, to the Inverness Cali game. Everybody knew at yeah. this point, you know, speculation was was rife that John Barnes was going to go after the Hearts game. The Inverness Cali game, the right was on the wall, regarded as Celtic's worst ever result. I think they admitted as much. Kenny Dalglish even admitted as much. Let me ask you something, though, sitting here today as it is, February 2019. Yep. Is that still Celtic's worst ever result? Mm, Bratislava might be. Bratislava's up there. I'll give you one worse than both of those, I think. Red Imps is pretty poor, yeah. Red Imps is pretty poor. But the Red Imps thing sort of stands aside from this because it didn't really mean an awful lot. It was big at the time because it was Brendan Rodgers' debut and all that, but it didn't matter an awful lot. The the Bratislava one and the Cali Thistle one really did. There was no coming back from those things. Well, that's true, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a finality to those results. Yeah. So the following day, um, the following couple of days, Celtic had the press camped outside Celtic Park. Um, there's a great, on YouTube, there's a great clip from Scotland Today, or Report in Scotland, whatever it was called, of the time, of all the fans in the press gathered waiting to hear from Celtic, waiting for the waiting for the press conference. And a couple of days passed, but press conferences took place and they just wouldn't address what was happening with the manager. John Barnes was then summarily sacked, along with Eric Black. Terry McDermott, strangely enough, hmm, yeah. was given a mutual consent, so he wasn't sacked. Kenny Dalglish was placed in charge of interim manager for an undisclosed period of time. Even interviews at the time, Kenny Dalglish says, we're going to work hard to get the best manager in, whether it's months, weeks, or even days. So at this time, there was no follow-up plan. And uh, with Kenny Dalglish, Mark Reaper joined. He formed part of the coaching team. When Barnes leaves in the league, he'd played 20 games. Yep. One thirteen, mm. drawn two, lost five. It's not. It's not 41 great. Forty-one points. It's not great, but it's not absolutely terrible. As I said before, it's it's what happened within those numbers. The numbers don't tell the whole yeah. stories. Yeah. Pumpins off Rangers. There's the the Kelly Thistle game. There's the the horror show at the uh, two hearts and all that as well. So it's it's not really about the bare numbers of it. It's, we conceded twenty goals in twenty games. That's, yeah, not, that's, good not, no, that's not good you enough. You can't be conceding an average of a goal a game and expect to be challenging for the league. In Kenny Douglas's mind, the players carried as much responsibility as, as the manager. Everybody yeah. carried responsibility apart from Kenny Douglas. Well, probably, probably apart from Kenny Douglas. You know, Kenny Douglas in his press conference, his famous press conferences, when he was reporting on the fact that Barnes had, had departed the club, he'd slaughtered the players. He said that you know. The club and the fans aren't interested in players who aren't a hundred percent committed, and they shouldn't be here if they don't want to be. So, or staff, or staff. Kenny, yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the thing was, again, Kenny Douglas took over, and at least at this point, we know what Kenny Douglas's job is: he's to he's to be the first team manager, however temporarily. But he didn't seem like he wanted it at all. Yet the the press conferences are the stuff of legend as well, because he he decided to start having them in Celtic pubs like Baird's Bar yeah. and all that which was a, a complete idiot at the time it was they didn't even bother putting up any kind of backings or anything like that it really was just press conferences taking place at pub tables think about that today oh yeah and I mean this was just because as far as I understand it he just had so much contempt for the press yeah. and at that point you had you had bouncers throwing out Hugh Keevans and barring them from press conferences and all that it was all a bit shit was unseemly man <laughs> as they say this Douglas, wasn't that long ago. No, it's, it's you know less I mean? than 20 it's, years ago, yeah. Douglas, I seem to remember him making a couple of signings. 
Yeah, he, he definitely signed Paul Shields yeah, after bans for a hundred grand from Wraith Rovers or yeah, something right. like that. Yeah, but Dalglish won a trophy. Oh, so he did. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> we got to the cup final again, playing Aberdeen, beat them two 0 in the final. Vida, Recep, and Tommy Johnson scored the goals. Now, just reading those goal scorers out just shows you where the team is at that point. I know MD can score, but. A 2 0 win over Aberdeen and that's your goal scorers, you're not thinking, oh. It's one of the flattest cup wins in Celtic's recent history. There's been a few, because I remember they won the cup after the, you know, helicopter Sunday thing oh, and all that, right? Happy. So they won the cup at that and it, they're just, they're largely forgotten about in the in the context of history. That was another one of those cases. So Kenny Dalglish, as, as we touched on, the, the famous Beards Bar press conferences. Yeah down to the just the, the sheer contempt he had for the press and probably you know looking back probably he just couldn't it, it was a bit disrespectful to Celtic I think I think looking mm. back to treat you're the Celtic manager Kenny Douglas you, you need to be treating the club in a professional way I, I mean would would Kenny Douglas be doing that at Liverpool maybe I get that it was an attempt at connecting with the fans after the after the nonsense we'd just been through, I, I suppose it was so, a sort of clumsy, ham-fisted attempt at getting, you know, getting back to basics, like back down to earth. Let's do it in the pubs. So we don't need all this media sheen and all that. But it, again, it's been a recurring theme. It was something that seemed like a good idea at the time and was an ultimate just, failure. Just to give you an indication of how that press conference actually went, though, you know, a journalist asked would ask, you know, Ken Douglas, so how's Henrik getting on? <laughs> He's got a sore leg. <laughs> Um, if that winning Sunday do you think it'll put doubt in at Rangers minds you'll have to ask them <laughs> did Condinton Fenlon make a bid for Colin Healy this week I don't know this is a that's how the press con- those are direct quotes from that, that press conference in Beards Bar the thing about Kenny Dalglish is he's a notoriously bad communicator as well when it came to these things and it, it was mostly down to contempt but he wasn't a good speaker I don't know what the purpose of him having him up there answering these questions was this this press conference was just I think it was just prior to going to Ibrox in a match where we subsequently lost 4-0 yeah absolutely destroyed again by Rangers we didn't beat them at all that season no didn't come close well maybe they won each game at Celtic Park we should have beat them but he cannot go through a season without beating them at least once so obviously a fractured squad, fractured management team was was the rumour, was the key to, to John Barnes's breakdown. He was very much Kenny Douglas's guy. He said it himself, Kenny Douglas pushed to get him in. But after John Barnes left, there seemed to be a bit of a fracture between the pair of them, wasn't there? Well, the the, mother, the waters were muddied even further with what the two of them were responsible for at Celtic. When Kenny Douglas came out and basically just threw Barnes under the bus for the whole thing, he just, he laid everything at his door. Now, as we talked about a wee bit earlier, he's supposed to be in charge of the training. Already established, he didn't really. It was it was black. He was supposed to be working on formations, tactics, all that kind of thing. Kenny Douglas is supposed to do the signings, the contracts, all that kind of thing. But Kenny Douglas came out and said that he didn't do any of that. Mm-hmm. That was all Barnes's fault as well. So all the bad signings were Barnes's fault. All the all the missteps, all the selections, they were all Barnes's fault. So again, probably not deliberately but he's sort of turning the spotlight on himself again there that he's throwing the bands under the bus but also making people question what, what exactly were you doing Kenny genuinely 
Like those are, those those yeah. accusations were leveled at him subsequently after Celtic after after you know even at Blackburn yeah that yeah. that accusations were leveled at, at Kenny although he was a league winning manager at Blackburn how much he actually had to do with that was unknown that was something that was you said at Blackburn as well Ray Hafford was the man all the tactics all the training yeah. he done that Kenny Dalglish maybe it's a bit like Martin O'Neill he was the motivator sort of thing mm. but. I don't think he was much of a motivator. He was just more, again, a figurehead yeah, yeah. of a guy, a legend that you're going to play under, James. Yeah, so Kenny Dalglish was then left as interim manager. An open-ended thing, as he's discussed, as we mentioned. He said it could be days, weeks or months before a new manager was in charge. Um, Him having his fingers crossed the entire time. Like, yeah. get, get me out of here, basically. <laughs> right. I don't know if he was just treating it as... He knew he was inter interim manager. He was never going to take on the job. The league was gone, completely gone, oh, right. especially after that 4-0 game. He was in charge for 10 games. He won five. Won <laughs> five. Right. That is cool. Drew four and lost one. But New manager bounced there, yes. Kenny, was it? <laughs> <laughs> we did have massive injury problems, but around this time he did give a lot of young players their debut and significantly... For those 10 games, he played Stylian Petrov in central midfield and told yeah. him, Petrov's talked about this before, you're playing these 10 games in your position, get yourself settled in it. And Petrov puts that down to the turning point in his Celtic The career. rest is history, yeah. So yeah. we owe Kenny for that. And I remember going to the last game of the season. It was Dundee United at Celtic Park. Kenny Dalglish had already given a lot of young players a debut or given them game time. And the lineup for that day is extraordinary. The main reason... I went to the game and I think it was near a full house was because Henrik Larsson was back. Mm. This was his first match back. This was him ahead of schedule trying to get fit for the Euros that was coming in the summer. And again, that's another significant thing. Larsson's back. He's playing in the Euros. He's coming back fit for the next season. Yeah, so Kenny Dublish did use that opportunity to, to give some youngsters a chance for Celtic. Uh, let me. I'm going to run through the squad here. This is a wee quiz, and tell me how many of these you can you can name. Right, Gould. You know him. Okay. The name here is God Goodwin. Jim Jim, Jim Goodwin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. there we go. Mialbe, John Kennedy. John Kennedy. Yeah. Lambert McCorrigan. Uh, Fotheringham. <laughs> Mark, I'm Mark Fotheringham. Yeah. Yeah. McCann. Is that Ryan, Ryan McCann? McCann yeah. Yeah. Benkovic, Lynch, and Benkovic. Virtual. Berkovic, Berkovic, Simon Lynch, and Bob yeah. yeah. So that was Kenny Dalglish's little stint as Celtic manager. John Barnes, his stint as Celtic manager ended. Where did John Barnes go after Celtic? Tranmere Rovers? I think it may have, was it Jamaica. Oh. <laughs> I can't remember in which order that came, but the, his other two management jobs after Celtic were Jamaica and Tranmere Rovers. Yeah. How did they first even? Yeah, well, I'd, he'd I'd, done actually okay for yeah, Jamaica. I'd, he'd done okay I'd, for Jamaica, yeah, yeah. Tramier didn't last particularly long as well, and it has since led, it'd be remiss of us to not mention the fact that it has since led John Barnes to talk about you know, allegations of uh, his race, his colour yeah. of skin coming into how he is viewed as a manager. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that racism doesn't exist in football and it's not a consideration for anyone because we all know that it is a factor. It is still it is still out there. Are there enough black managers in football? That's probably not, but that's a completely separate issue to what John Barnes says. He says that black managers aren't given the same second chances that white managers mm. are. The thing is, again, that it's totally separate to if there's enough enough of the, you know representation out there. There are... Many examples I could point to, the likes of Paul Ince, Chris Hewton, 
and Keith Curl, who have all had several jobs in football. Paul Ince has had about half a dozen. Paul Ince has managed Macclesfield Town, Milton Keynes Dons, twice, Blackburn Rovers, Notts County and Blackpool. So he's had, he's had plenty of chances. He's just not been very good Sacked at them. All of them yeah, you? I think so. he's just not been very good at them. To, to level it at just everyone, we just all didn't take to John Barnes because he was was black. As, as, it was as, clumsy. Yeah, very clumsy. It's, it's well wide of the mark. The guy, fact, Celtic appointed Barnes and he was the first black or non-white manager of any major club in Britain. So Celtic had had made that bold step as it was back then. You know, it's, So I don't think... I don't think... Uh, John Barnes has made... He sort of clarified those points in subsequent interviews where he sort of pointed to. And he's tidied the point up when he says, if you look at society, there are very few people of colour in high positions. Yeah. So why would football be any different? Yeah, yeah. That is a much better point than yeah. I didn't succeed at Celtic and people didn't take to me because of the colour of my skin. Because you could level that accusation perhaps at many places. And maybe even, you know, 18 years ago, there might have been a bit of that, given that it was the first time that this yeah. had happened. But really, there are bigger problems about John Barnes' time at Celtic before yeah, we absolutely. even got it's, onto any potential racism issues. I'm not going to pretend I know what it's like to have been John Barnes. He he came up in the in the eighties as a footballer where it was absolutely rife in England. Oh, yeah. he, he had a terrible time of it when it came to racism. Even played for England. Yeah, uh, that's right. And and as a result, he is you know highly sensitive to these things more so than I could ever dream of, of being able to talk about. But I, I just don't, I don't see it with the management thing. There are there are too many. Too many arguments against that. I think he was given a chance. He was given a second chance at Tranmere, and and that that was it for him. His assistant at Tranmere was uh, Jason McAteer, and he's never worked again either. So I think it's more about who you are rather than yeah. the, the, the color of your skin. It's, I, I just don't think that had anything to do with the Celtic thing at all. Kenny Dalglish, interestingly, this ties back somewhat to Celtic. Kenny Dalglish disappeared out of management for eight years. Before he pitched up, quite incredibly, I remember thinking at the time, quite incredibly, he pitched up as manager of Liverpool. Yeah. Again. The saviour. In 2011. Now, this was after Liverpool, you know, this was after Liverpool had Benitez, Roy Hodgson, Mm. and they they went out. They replaced Hodgson. They replaced Hodgson. They went out and got Kenny Kenny Dalglish, which was a bizarre, bizarre move at the time. Um, Did sign Suarez. That's right. I was about Carroll. And... And uh, Charlie Sarah Adam, signed old chuckles for eight million pounds. Um, they finished eighth that season, a relative disaster for them. And do you know who they brought in to fix that disaster? The King, Saint the Brendan. King. Yes. So Celtic, it all goes in a big circle. It does. Boy, the same it? names the keep coming around. Life. Celtic were left again. Now this would have been. This is just off the top of my head, but would this be Celtic looking for their ninth manager in eleven years? Because I think it was eight and ten when they appointed Barnes. That needs verification, but I think I'm right on that. So it was only Tommy Burns that had done more than a season, surely. Yeah. So they were looking for manager number nine, I believe, in 11 years hmm. um, after the departure of John Barnes and Kenny Douglas at the end of the season. And some of the names that were linked at the time, um, Joe Kinnear, <laughs> Joe Kinnear, who is a, a laughing stock now. Who, my favourite Joe Kinnear story is he went to watch a, a I can't remember the details, but you don't need them. He went to watch a, a match. Was it Shane Ferguson? Is that that one? Yes, yeah. where Shane Ferguson was playing fullback, mm. and he was so impressed with Shane Ferguson. This is joking. He was Newcastle manager. He was so impressed with Shane Ferguson playing for I think it might be Birmingham or whatever. They went back and says we need to sign that Shane Ferguson boy <laughs> from Birmingham, 
and he uh, he was on loan from Newcastle. <laughs> he was watching his own player. But my, no, my favourite is that he called Johan Kabai Johan Kebab. <laughs> it's not racist. <laughs> um, so Joe Kinnear, he was linked with the Celtic job just off the back of Wimbledon. The fans' favourite and the one that was most talked about, Wim Janssen, mm, yeah. who was who hadn't had a job, who left Celtic the season prior and wasn't employed anyone. So There were a lot of perennial favourites that were linked with Celtic every time yeah. someone was out of a yeah. job. There were the usual Hiddink was linked and, yeah, and several others, I think. Hiddink was spoken to. He, yeah, that yeah, went very, right. very far. Gordon Strachan. Yeah. Interestingly, was linked. So you know, Suck really, the, life again. I know, really, the two favourites at the time were probably Strachan and Wim Janssen towards the end of the season. Mm. Judging by the news reports that I've watched and read at the time, that those were the two names. Gordon Strachan was probably Coventry manager at that point. Mm. Um, Not long after, he, he'd still been playing. He started. Yeah. I think he, he finished up a, a year, or, a season or two before. Um, and obviously, he obviously came came around to be Celtic manager. So all the dust had settled. Kenny Dalglish, John Barnes had gone. It was all quiet around Celtic Park. The seat was empty and there was another rebuilding job to do. And that's where we're going to pick up on the next episode. <laughs> thanks to everyone who listens. Thanks to you guys, especially the patrons. This is a, a little series that we're going to be continuing over the course of the next week, couple of weeks and months, bringing you the highlights of Martin O'Neill's time at Celtic. That was the prelude. That was somewhat of a prelude. It um, sure was, yeah. It might not be all as long as that, right no. enough, but there was a lot of context to... To, to bring it in yeah. and from now on in it's almost plain sailing as far as we go <laughs> it's, from now on in it's unadulterated Martin O'Neill <laughs> thanks for listening fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.